These are the two things that we need to unlock a data economy. Number one is to have the tools available to unlock the data while giving each individual control and the comfort to share. And on the second side, we need to find a way to price the data so that once you've priced something, then you can start layering on the various tools like securitization, collateralization, lending, insurance, all that sort of stuff on data. These are the two pillars. That is how we unlock a data economy uh, that people will kind of have a right signal to uh, and will be willing to participate in. They're incentivized to because A, I know that if I share my data under the terms that I feel comfortable with, and then B, I know the price signal that I get from that, I, I'll get paid X dollars, then uh, that's enough to start it recruiting people into this new data economy. Voices of the Data Economy, a podcast supported by Ocean Protocol Foundation. We bring to you the voices shaping the data economy and challenging it at the same time. We talk about breaking down data silos and equalizing access to data for all. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Voices of the Data Economy. This is a special one with Bruce. We're here in Berlin uh, in the same office with proper social distancing. And I'm here with Diksha, who's a co-host, and Bruce, founder of Ocean Protocol. How are you, Diksha? How are you, Bruce? Hi, I'm doing great. Hello, Bruce. Hi, thank Hi. you. Uh, it's great to be here, and thanks for all the good work you guys have been doing. Thank you. Wonderful. So, Bruce, you have been particularly associated with the in the blockchain space for a while, but there is also something, there's been a journey to this and how you got to what you are doing today. So why don't you tell us a bit about how you if we can, if we could say, became a data banker from a banker. Sure. Yeah. I uh, I've been work. I before I came into blockchain, I, I did about uh, 12, 13 years in the banking sector, where I helped to build banks around the world, Asia, uh, Europe, Eastern Europe, and, and Middle East. That was a, a very good opportunity for me because I was able to see the financial system from the ground up, and also build bread and butter banks that. Uh, really gave lending products to people and companies that needed it in economies that were growing very fast. At the same time, there was a cognitive dissonance that I was feeling as I was building these banks over the, that decade in, the, in that the, the world was moving apart in some way. There were more haves uh, that were controlling more power, and then there were more have-nots that were feeling more and more powerless. We were seeing the rise of these internet platforms that uh, sucked up data, and I had been doing a lot of reading in traveling uh, for courses in, in Boston as well as in London. And one of the most influential books that I had read was, I think it was called Dead Capital uh, by Hernando de Soto. And he talked a lot about property and the value of property and if you can give people rights to their land that they were already on, that they had title to, then you could unlock banking, loans, insurance, entrepreneurship, and a whole bunch of stuff. And so in 2013, I had uh, I'd been building banks already. I was exhausted from that, from traveling through three or four countries on a, on a cycle and a rotation. And Trent and Mash McConaughey came up to me and they asked whether or not I would be interested in uh, helping with this new startup, which was putting intellectual property on the blockchain. And immediately, I saw a parallel between Hernando de Soto's book of giving people rights to their land to intellectual property, giving people rights to their uh, 
their data uh, and their IP. Um, the idea is that if we could give all seven and a half billion people on Earth the ability to own and control the, the stuff that comes out of their brain, their ideas, their patents, all these types of things, then we would have a chance for all seven and a half billion people on Earth to have agency, have a, have a role, have a way to make money in, uh, in the world moving forward where automation, uh, AI and robotics are um, taking more and more of the manual stuff, the stuff you can program, the stuff you can give instructions for, all these things, these are programmable. And so what is remaining for humans? It's our creativeness. It's our intellectual property, the ideas, and the data. And so we set out in 2013 as being one of the very first um, venture-backed blockchain companies that was focused on non-financial use case. Wow. So the very premise of owning and controlling your data that all the things that we just spoke about is based on Web3. And I think a lot, and this is a term that comes across a lot whenever we are trying to, to talk about data challenges and owning data. So if you could give a little bit of background on what Web3 actually is for our audience and how is Ocean particularly working in the data economy on this concept. So uh, Web3 denotes for me uh, the fact that you are working on technologies that are decentralized. And what that means is that the, the smart contracts, the code, the, the tokens, they all run on substrates which can't be stopped uh, by uh, people or central intermediaries. As a group, people can determine the direction of the platforms and the infrastructure but it's, it's a, a very hard coordination problem and there has to be kind of a, almost a democratic process in order to make changes on that. And that makes Web3 very resilient, very robust uh, for putting many of the concepts of value on top of. Because by using that as a substrate, you can start to give people, companies, individuals back control of things that they value, whether it's their identity, intellectual property, their money, land titles, whatever is value that we as humans have can now live on that substrate. And we as uh, individuals can control that using a private key, an Ethereum address, a Bitcoin address, this type of thing. And that for me signifies Web3, as opposed to something like Web2, which is the rise of the internet platforms. It was where you have a central database where your private information is vacuumed up, where governments are the sole authority for issuing identity or privileges, etc. You have large multinational companies that have uh, almost more power than governments in some ways and having this rich database uh, that they you actually kind of have to trust that they're handling. And we're seeing more and more that there are these hacks of governments as well as internet companies as well as banks that hold the customer data whatever it is identity money etc and so the difference between web 2 and web 3 uh, philosophically is that you instead of trusting somebody else to hold your things of value and have records of that you put it on the substrate and you control that um, this is something pretty important I, I, if I could even get philosophical I, I remember reading a story about the what the um, as a society, you, you need to have push down kind of our belief system where we have our faith lower and lower. 
So we started with just kind of like religion. Uh, and then we actually moved to science. Now we're moving into a very more individualistic uh, aspect of that because you, you have to question what is the right structure uh, for ha holding value and managing governments, uh, managing your society, uh, depending on um, the state of the technology and the state of the, the people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, thanks, Bruce. I, I think we could even say that data sovereignty in like the Web3 sense is real data sovereignty. Like you actually, it's protected by math, not like national uh, laws. Like it, it's really like your keys and you're the only person who has sovereignty over your data. And this, totally. This wouldn't really be, like we could fake it, try to construct legal structures around it. Like we had episodes about talking about data sovereignty from that point of view, but like it's never really real sovereignty until now. Yeah, I, I, the seeds are there. Uh, as we know, governments have a monopoly on violence. Governments are the only ones who are able to forcibly do things to humans uh, if it contravenes that social compact in there. And so it's the same also with this stuff. So at, at, the, at the end of the story, if a government wants something, they can still take it. But the, the power of, for instance, Web3 is that uh, it has to be very specific. So instead of going to a bank and seizing the bank and all their assets, now they'd have to go to each one of us individually, <laughs> knock on the doors and ask for those private keys. Yeah. And that... Uh, this makes it much more difficult. It constrains the power. What we've seen now is, you know, with surveillance, the five eyes from the what we've heard of in America with the Snowden revelations, etc. The overreach of government is uh, pervasive, regardless of which government. And with Web3 technologies, that overreach is now constrained back to perhaps a more natural agreement that citizens would agree to. Yeah, yeah. It also almost feels like in the Web2 sense, everyone was walking around naked without any clothes on. And it was <laughs> really easy for these corporations to exploit all of our data in a way like our digital twins were walking around naked. Everything was, you know, easily exploitable by these like giants of Web2 like Facebook and Google. But now you need permission to see me naked, to see my data. Sure. And I, I think that regardless of where we are um, in the development of kind of humanity and trust and stuff, you always do need kind of trusted intermediaries in some form. You, people, if everybody needs to relearn all the lessons and mistakes and relearn to trust everybody for everything, that's a huge friction for the proper functioning of a society. And so that's why we have companies, doctors, notaries, governments, police, and all this sort of stuff, because within each of these kind of roles, they have um, imbued with them a certain responsibility and trust. So if a police officer says, no, you can't come here, go this way, because we have something going on, you trust that something is happening, that, that type of trust. You don't have to ask them, well, why are you doing this? Why are you closing down the street? Is something happening? If a government says, everybody should wear a mask, because the medical authorities have told us that uh, that reduces the spread of COVID. There, you know, you can be skeptical to a certain extent, you can challenge, but there is a reason why you have trusted intermediaries. Um, the question is, do you give them too much power? And that's, I think, where we're at now with, between the Web 2 and the Web 3 transition. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like we're in this phase of negotiating which party has how much power. And I, I guess like just if building the tools, even without mass adoption, we we give people the option if they want to opt into like a self-sovereign mode of like data economy, the, the tools are there. I mean, not exactly now, but like we're close. Um, so Bruce, in uh, addition to data sovereignty, there's also the financial side. Like that's that's like actually the real matter right now. Uh, these Web2 companies, like they're not really uh, spying on us. They're just making money. That's that's the the real issue right now. So the uh, so I wanted to zoom out a little bit and ask you like, what is your vision for data financialization or like? What's what's the umbrella word for this space in general? It's like data finance or... I call it a, a new data economy, uh-huh. uh, rivaling other s- sectors like land and property uh, or the corporation. The, these innovations of humanity, uh, I think data itself will become an, e- an economy as big as, and that is huge. Um, the The data economy... To unlock it, there have been pretty much two. I can I can break down to two questions. Number one is, can I sh- can I truly control my data? And then when I do share it, is is it safe? Do I feel comfortable? Can I maintain a certain amount of privacy? That's one set. Just control. The second set is, what is my data worth? And we haven't had enough trading on data, uh, or if we have had trading, it's it's held by a, a very small group of people who know what the data is worth. And so we don't really have a price. And these are the two things that we need to unlock a data economy. Number one is to have the tools available to unlock the data while giving each individual control and the comfort to share. And on the second side, we need to find a way to price the data so that once you've priced something, then you can start layering on the various tools like securitization, collateralization, lending, insurance, all that sort of stuff on data. These are the two pillars. That is how we unlock a data economy uh, that people will kind of have a right signal to uh, and will be willing to participate in. They're incentivized to because A, I know that if I share my data under the terms that I feel comfortable with, and then B, I know the price signal that I get from that, I'll get paid X dollars, then uh, that's enough to start recruiting people into this new data economy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... uh Sorry, you had a question. Yeah, I think uh, also it would be great to understand that how Ocean or you particularly are working on this on a daily basis and changing the power dynamics. And if you could give an example to explain that. Yeah, sure. The uh, We spent the first uh, few years of Ocean Protocol thinking about the protocol in the sense of the first problem. How do you, how do you share data securely? And it came down to access control. We use blockchain and all the capabilities within blockchain for access control. So if you have a certain kind of, if you trigger a smart contract correctly, uh, then it'll give you access to this resource. And you can use this from blockchain, which means that um, once somebody invokes a smart contract, there's no way to stop it. And it functions as designed. Uh, On top of that, you can layer various things like uh, pass lists and block lists. You can layer in different conditions. You have to pay X dollars. It, you can maybe have within these pass lists uh, only for research purposes or pharmaceutical purposes or something, not for governments, not for military, these types of things. And so that infrastructure is there. 
That's what Ocean does. It solves that first problem. And that was our first release, V1 and V2. V1 was just that access control. V2 was this concept of compute to data where uh, we acknowledge that data is heavy. It never wants to move. It wants to stay exactly where it's sitting because that's the safest place it is. Uh, and then you bring an algorithm uh, along with a compute uh, to process that data. And then the algorithm just leaves with the data, uh, with the results and not the data. Uh, that's V1 and V2. And then V3 is solving the second problem, which is the um, financialization of it. And that is this concept of data tokens, where every data set is encapsulated in a token, both the value of the token and the access. So it's this kind of Heisenberg uncertainty principle. You can use this token both for accessing it, but it also represents the value. And this interesting approach has now spawned uh, in the ocean market. We, we released this three weeks ago, but it's now spawned a very vibrant ecosystem of people who are scouting for data, who are assessing the value of data, as well as people who are essentially doing prediction markets. Another word could be speculating on the value of that data. And it's really interesting. We have uh, already 500 data sets. There's 2 million ocean locked up in the ocean market. And initially, we saw a very high fluctuation of the price of these data sets because people didn't really know how to price them. And it would take probably about four days before the price settled down. You would have, there were pump and dumps, there were rug pulls, there were scams and IP violations. We had, we saw everything within the first week. Uh, wasn't what we were expecting. The community enthusiasm was great. And uh, we started having to deal with all these problems that any mature marketplace would have had to deal with. The good news is we've already implemented a whole bunch of stuff to, to, to stop uh, scams and IP violations, to reduce the impact of pump and dumps and rug pulls. And uh, what we're seeing is that the market, the community, is figuring out how to price data. We're seeing that when a new data set comes out, within two, as fast as one or two hours, the price stabilizes. Uh, normally it takes no more than six hours now. So we've gone from, let's say, 96 hours for a huge oscillation in price before that function dampens to now it, it oscillates a couple times and then it, it dampens and it stays stable. So the, the, we, you can now price data because of this data token concept on the ocean market. You can now price data and the market will tell you its real value. Uh, and this is a huge innovation because the more data sets we get onto the market, the better the methodologies for analyzing this data will become, the more sophisticated the players will become in pricing that data faster and faster. Uh, and that's how markets form. So that solves the second problem. We, we now have, using Web3 technologies, uh, like automated market makers, ERC20 tokens, the Ethereum network, we have the ability to price data and give access control securely. This is hopefully, in my, in my mind, I think that's revolutionary. I think that this is going to unlock, it's, it's one of the first steps towards the data economy. And now that we have this initial beachhead, we're going to start collaborating with all these other uh, Web3 companies, as well as traditional companies to start you know, getting adoption, uh, evangelizing, and uh, seeing where this takes us. Thank you. Um, so... Talking about like markets and data markets, 
uh, I think it's uh, fair to say markets are at like engines at the core of any economy and same for data economy. And I'm curious to know how you see uh, ocean market or generally data markets that are built on this new paradigm. If they're two-sided marketplaces, three-sided marketplaces, like what are the main players in this new way of... Yeah, I, I think they're three-sided markets. What we're seeing is you have like on the, if you looked at a traditional Airbnb, you have the Airbnb as the platform provider, and then you have the people who put up the capacity, the rooms, the other people who are the consumers, the, the visitors. In ocean market, you have a third player, or like you, you'll have the publisher plus the consumer. The AI researcher, what have you, you have the publisher, which is an individual company or what have you. On top of that, you're going to have the staker. This is the person who participates in a prediction market and helps give that data asset a price signal uh, and can speculate on the value and make gains or losses depending on whether or not their bet is correct, how good their analysis tools are. So in the ocean market, you have three players. You have the publishers, the consumers, and the stakers. And as we move forward, we'll see if there's other uh, participants coming. But I think those are the three main, and that's enough to start encouraging data hunters to come in because uh, one, I've had a lot of conversations with companies who have reached out to us who are interested in ocean market. It's been, the response has been great. Uh, surprisingly great. And for them, I expl- the, some of them say, well, is there any s- support to get data on there? Do we get an initial incentive? All this type of stuff. I, I realized, uh, we've realized with the design of the ocean market, you don't actually don't need incentives you, uh, from, from the project. You can do it based on, if you are a data hunter and you find a valuable data set, you, publish, you, you help that publisher publish it, you stake on it. You're, the, you're either the first or the second staker on that data. So you help establish the price. And as liquidity enters that pool and as the market figures out the value of it, you're still first in line for the rewards that happen. And because it follows kind of an exponential curve. Because they bought at a lower price. Basically. Essentially. Uh-huh. They bought at a lower price. So let's say you buy in at $2 uh, for this data set. The, the initial publisher buys in at $1. Uh, and then it stabilizes at ten dollars. Well, you might be sitting on five x gains. So that's as in, that's as good of an incentive as anything. And it takes away the control, the power, uh, and the authority from, let's say, the Ocean Protocol Foundation. The market incentives are built in, and that is fantastic. If I if I compare this to Uniswap, and I I love Uniswap. Uh, we saw three days ago that they stopped their uh, liquidity reward program. And half a billion dollars in one day left the Uniswap protocol, went to other places, SushiSwap, uh, Balancer, Bancor, etc. And for me, that's, it's, it's a very clear sign that it's not sustainable. You have these yield hunters who are looking for the best place to get yield. And so if you have this artificial um, yield farming uh, incentive, the moment it goes away, the people will leave. Well, or the incentives have to be at the level of each uh, pair or each data pair. So it's, let's say someone wants to start like a new data mining program and they'll say whoever helps us with like creating these pairs will issue like or we'll give them 10% of the issuance of the data tokens. Something like that. It could work, right? And that's what we're thinking of right now is how do you, how do you design the incentives so that uh, they're very constrained and limited and they encourage the right behavior 
so that it works its magic. It's like a, like an accelerant, like an incubation, what have you, uh, for a short period of time. And then you can take it away and, and the natural course of the market or the data set takes, takes over. Um, what we're seeing right now is some pretty, uh, not standard, that's the wrong word, but we're seeing uh, for liquidity pools, Balancer, Bancor, Uniswap, they're, they're putting tokens on there, but we're already seeing that people will leave as soon as those are gone. And that's, I mean, it could be enough to kickstart the network. And if that's what it's intended, it's good, but it doesn't feel sustainable. Got it, got it. Um, so we're saying that like these data marketplaces on Ocean, they're open data marketplaces, but you just talked about like spam and IP issues. Don't you or whoever creates a marketplace kind of become the new intermediary? Like the substrate is permissionless, but you still need like some filtering and quality control. Yeah, I, I think that that is, that is something that we're uh, tackling right now. Uh, just had a conversation this morning with, the, with some of the team members on this. And we don't want to be a central intermediary. I mean, that would be against many of our core values and, and what we're trying to do. That being said, there, there has to be... Ocean Market actually just exposes what's on the smart contract. Um, but we knew that most people are not going to be able to work with the smart contracts or even at the library's level, the second layer. Uh, so we have to build Ocean Market so that people can actually see, feel, touch, and interact with the smart contracts uh, in a way that is at their level of sophistication or, to, or, or adoption. And so... The way we see it is that we are encouraging more ocean markets or similar types of markets built on top of ocean using ocean technology so that you know, the goal is that we have a thousand ocean markets or more data markets and ocean market is just one out of many. We don't, and, and, and ocean will always be one out of many because the core truth lays at the, at the smart contract layer on top of Ethereum through the ocean smart contracts. And that's a very good thing that we think. One way that we can do that is to have the fees on the ocean market a little bit higher to give somebody else a chance to undercut us. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a crappy business strategy from a long-term perspective, but it's an excellent ecosystem strategy because, you know, I think, I forget who said that. I think Amazon, Jeff Bezos once said is that your margin is my, is my profit. You do the opposite. Something like that, right? <laughs> we do the opposite. We, we, might, we might actually have higher market fees and that encourages somebody who says, I can do this cheaper than ocean market. I'm going to build a different marketplace yeah yeah and I, I think we saw that in the DeFi space with like uh serum and solana like they they have this like kind of central or like one instance of of serum but anyone else could fork it create like their own front end with different configurations yep and and we'll actively encourage that uh with some of our programs data economy challenge shipyard program etc uh just grants from the foundation this type of thing ocean dow we will encourage this type of thing. So different um, clients on different substrates, uh, different marketplaces. We see this as a multi-year kind of effort to to get a healthy ecosystem that's broad and diverse. So, I mean, as a journalist, whenever I look at it from the outside world and whenever I hear words like data marketplace, my question always is that how do you really bring people onto this? The people that you really want to bring who are outside of the bubble um, and so it would be great to know, like, what are the, who are the kind of people that are actually already there and who are the ones that you aspire to bring and what are you doing where people like 
also what maybe I was five years back would have motivated me to, to get involved in this. Great question. I mean, this is uh, essentially the, what we need to do for 2021. Let's assume that 2020, we've, we've, we've launched what we needed to launch, and then we just keep improving it. 2021 is, is answering the question that you just asked. And I am pretty amazed and heartened to see the diversity of the people already in the ocean market. So you have, we have some people who've been with ocean for three, three years, all the way from the beginning, and they are some of the most uh, active people on the ocean market. There, I've seen six or seven new companies start up on top of ocean market uh, within three or four weeks. It's just amazing to see. And they're trying to build analytics companies, uh, ratings companies like a Moody's for data, these types of things, they're, they're already happening. You're already seeing groups that are investing and speculating on the ocean market. And then on the supply side, from sports companies to financial companies to ad agencies uh, and the entire spectrum, I've been fielding a ton of calls from people who are interested to find out more. And some of them have already said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this Ethereum address and this MetaMask thing, and I'm going to just publish a data set. Because on Ocean Market, the only thing you need is an Ethereum address with some Ethereum, uh, install MetaMask onto your browser, and then you bring a data set. It's that simple. So if you have a data set, you just need somebody to give you like 0.05 ETH, 20 bucks worth, uh, you publish your data set. Now, if you want to stake on it, then you need a little bit of Ocean. And we can help people with that a little bit, or some of these, the, the, the true newbies. But this is as, as easy as it gets almost with uh, Web3. And it's pretty amazing. And so how do you get that adoption from the entire spectrum? Well, we start with the people who already know what a MetaMask is. Like, you know, they have that already installed. They know Ethereum. And then next thing is getting them Ocean. So one of the things that we've been doing is working on fiat to crypto on-ramps. So different wallets, crypto.com, CryptoCoin Pro, I think it is, Voyager Wallet, Binance, all these types of things. These are on-ramps for people to get that initial amount of Ocean because we just assumed that they're going to be able to get some Ethereum. And it's not as easy as it's, it's not as easy as it should be even today. Um, I was onboarding five or six people and it was difficult for them to get Ethereum. I just said, fine, I'll send you some Ethereum. Let's get it done. <laughs> I'll send you some Ocean, that type of thing. And then they could start playing. So it's that's the first thing, just getting them onto the Web3 world. But from that point to publishing a data set and, and participating, it's actually really easy. Ocean Market is, I'm very proud of the team for making it so intuitive uh, and having kind of def design defaults that make it so that if you've gotten that first set of Ethereum, MetaMask, and some Ocean, you can pretty much play on the Ocean Market from day one. And that is hugely advantageous for adoption. Uh, we've had a ton of conversations with people who want to see how they value their data. They know that ocean market is forming as a market. It's not mature and that there are a lot of risks uh, for financial risk, reputational risk, risks that their data uh, could be used in ways that they didn't intend to. But the ones we are talking to, they just need to have that openness to experiment. Look at it like an experiment. It may not be a great result, but the goal is not to make money. The goal is not. It's to, to, to see how the ocean market responded to your data set, how you feel about that, and uh, to identify if you want to come back to the ocean market, at what point would you want to do that, right? So uh, that's 2021, is to just 
go through these things, mature the market, work with the core group of developers, the initial adopters, the stakers, the prediction in this prediction market that we have, and uh, and just keep improving. And I, I'm al we're already overwhelmed uh, by the initial response. We didn't expect in in the first month we've had something like thirty thousand users, unique users. And we've had uh, probably 10 million ocean flow in and out of the market over that time. And that's just, these numbers are not something that we expected. And they're real because it's all yeah, yeah. unchained. Like, it's, I mean, it's real. For yeah, the yeah. Audience, yeah, there's you, no watch trading. Yeah, you, you can go there and people have to pay fees to, to like add liquidity, remove liquidity. Yeah. Yeah, it's between uh, 3 and $50 depending on the, the congestion on Ethereum. And so... When people are paying $50 to add or take out liquidity, you know that it's real. It's a it's real signal. That's actually, if you want to talk about, you know, other layer solutions and why we chose Ethereum, this is one of the reasons we needed. Uh, we chose Ethereum because it has the most established, most mature ecosystem and the simplest onboarding. With any new product, you want to simplify everything out that you don't, all the complexity, strip it out, focus on what is the user experience that you need to have in order for them to adopt it. And um, that was why we chose Ethereum, because it was the most mature. With uh, upcoming uh, protocols like Nier, like Solana, like uh, Polkadot and Cosmos and all sorts of stuff, they're coming. And they will all have their own AMMs, they'll all have their own ecosystems that form. We'll happily go on to them when they reach a level where the adoption is going to be as easy as Ethereum. And we're, we're very excited about that. Uh, and so... Um, the that was kind of one of the design constraints we gave to us we when we originally built ocean we built it on a poa network in hindsight that was a mistake mm -hmm. poa networks take time for people to get on board you have this bridge all this sort of stuff we should have built everything uh immediately initially on ethereum and that would have saved us um we learned a lot but we had it would save us at least a year uh <laughs> yeah. in the runway yeah but we learned a lot we we so um with what we just learned over the last four weeks, the rug pulls, pump and dumps, IP infringements, everything. It's just been, and the, pe the team is just being heroic. I, I just, we've been, we've been up at like 7, 6.30, and we, we, we end at like 10. Uh, it's, been, it's been a very difficult month. Uh, the good thing is we've, we've designed uh, something that's a better version of Ocean Market already, and we'll be able to roll that out in four to six weeks. So what took us before two and a half, three years to design an architect, we're now going to be able probably to roll it out in four to six weeks. And this will be a, an improved uh, ocean market with uh, better defenses against rug pulls, pump and dumps, IP infringements, all that sort of stuff. And that's amazing. That is truly amazing because we've learned so much. We've, we've taken our, our punches uh, and uh, fought in the trenches. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the team for, for continuing to fight in, in, and deliver in this manner. And hopefully it will be exponential. Like, you know, first it took like five years, then maybe five months, five weeks. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, when Now the ocean market is out. We've maxed out every web service, every web three service uh, that we've had, all the infrastructure that we had originally built in the last two or three years. It's all at capacity. Mm -hmm. So that's why, another reason why we have to re-architect because what the architecture we had could handle maybe two, 300 concurrent users. Uh, it, it was a template that had never been tried before. It was the bleeding edge. We built it. Let's see what happens. We're now at two, 300 concurrent users uh, a day, that type of thing, like at any one time. 
And uh, they've done some fixes to get up to about 800 concurrent users. So now that, that buys us about probably three or four weeks. But we now need to think, as you said, exponentially. We now need to design something that will have tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands or millions of users. And so that architecture design is now being uh, tried out as we speak. Sounds like we need sharding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in some ways. Like essentially um, moving some information off kind of like the core thing and make it's like segwit right you, you you put just the basic information that you need and then pointers to where you can have the other information just mm -hmm. the heavier loads yeah and one of the interesting design patterns that i've seen in web3 is uh allowing users to choose if they want to be on like a highly secure layer one like ethereum or if they want to be on xi or some layer two when the value is lower so let's say if you want to upload like a data set that's just cat picks you don't want to pay $50 to secure that data set. Like you don't even care about the anonymity. But uh, if it's, I don't know, you're, you're like a whistleblower and it's like NSA database, <laughs> you, you definitely want to upload that with like a coin mixer with like complete anonymity on Ethereum layer one. Right. Or, or you upload in all chains uh, in some way. Just the, the you know you, you put it on Filecoin, put it on Arweave, and then upload it to to as many different chains as you can where Ocean resides. Yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting edge case to see if people upload like highly valuable sensitive data, like like do do a partnership with Snowden 2.0, <laughs> <laughs> and then see like if if NSA goes after like they they can't go after every Ethereum node. That's just impossible. Correct, correct. I, I think the asymmetric power. The, the way I call it is kind of the barbell effect. Every individual today has vast amount has a vast amount of asymmetric power that they have at their disposal if they knew what they were doing. At the same time, they are fundamentally weaker than they've ever been because the the power of the state and the tools that the state has are overwhelming whether it's the surveillance, the police, the military, the taxation, all that sort of stuff. And so you have this kind of barbell effect where we're both more powerful than we've ever been and we've never been so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting times. Uh, so I wanted to concretely talk about uh, liquidity in the context of data markets or like data tokens. You're using data tokens in a very interesting way. You said it's both for signaling quality of data when people stake on a certain data set, and it's also uh, like like a normal marketplace. Like you have the supply side, demand side. But what's a little bit strange is like uh, at least initially without data DAOs. Like I'm personally really excited about that. I think it's like episode three or four with Alex Sevenevic. We talk about data DAOs. Um, like until those things uh, exist it's mostly like one user or one data provider who has like 100% of the supply side liquidity so it's a little bit weird to me like can we zoom into this sure sure uh this is actually part of our our next upgrade in that the um the publisher won't have the full liquidity on the data token side what will happen is that when they publish they will be getting a certain percentage of the future data tokens of supply, but that'll be uh, um, burned in, uh, vested mm -hmm. over six to 48 months. That's smart. Right. And so you're going to have a separation between the liquidity provisioning and the consumption of the data. So a data owner 
if their goal should be to, to have that data consumed. A secondary goal is to potentially earn a piece of that data set uh, in, a in a liquid market, in a, in a pool. And so they're going to be allowed a certain percentage, but not by far not the majority, but a much smaller percentage. And then the liquidity providers, the ones who are creating the market and the market signal, they're the ones who are going to be able to buy into this liquidity pool uh, in a much more fair manner. Yeah, yeah. So in a sense, we're talking about different approaches to supply schedule of the data tokens. And right. I think this should be open. This should be like on the marketplace, you have a tag. It says this one is like the Wild West is crazy. This one is on this type of curve. The other one is a multi-sig of six people who are these people with their identities. It's like a data DAO. So that's, I think, where innovation can go crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's obfuscating and simplifying uh, the cognitive load. And what I mean by that is an AMM operates on like a bonding curve, right? Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, right? Liquidity goes in, liquidity goes out, but it kind of follows this, this linear exponential curve in terms of who gets what. That, that innovation allowed for a lower cognitive load in terms of people understanding the market, it reduced the human intervention for risk and the, the it constrained the design space. What we're doing with uh, Ocean Market in, in the next release is the same thing. We're constraining uh, the data set liquidity uh, much more so that it's predictable for people, not just as a bonding curve, but also in terms of the share of the data set that the publisher can get and the potential for everybody else if they participate in the market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is hopefully something that will be welcomed by the community. And then on the other side, we're still incentivizing the publisher because what happens is as that data token value rises on the speculative side, somebody consumes the data token or, or consumes the data set. They give a data token to the publisher and that data, that publisher can sell that data token back in the ocean market at the higher price. And that way you have kind of aligned incentives because if I get 10 sales of my data, I get 10 data tokens. And if that price has gone from $1, $20, then I've essentially gotten $400. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, by the way, this is a special segment. Let's get nerdy for Trent. <laughs> so Ocean is built on Balancer, right? Currently, yes. Yeah. So Balancer has more than bonding curves. They have bonding surfaces. You can have like yeah. n-dimensional. So let, let, let's say you, you have like a data a uh, pair is more than a pair. It will be like a basket. And you're asking people to give us the best data set for cat pictures. And then you could have different uh, tokens issued into the same basket with different qualities. And over time, the one that has the highest quality will have higher kind of percentage of the pool. Sure, sure. It's just like a mutual fund or an index fund. So it's a pretty interesting innovation when you start bundling various data sets. So one of the ways that we've been talking with, for instance, our um, potential data publishers is to say, take an entire data set that you don't know the value for. It's just the body of that data set. And then what you do is you can parse out different segments. So maybe it's by geography, maybe it's by industry, uh, time periods, what have you. Uh, and then you can put various amounts into a fixed price sector where you just say, okay, look, if I was selling this on the ocean open market, I would sell the American data for 300 bucks, the European data for 400 and the Asian data for 250, let's just say. Mm -hmm. But that entire set you put up into the dynamic price 
And then you can see you can see how the market actually values that data versus the fixed price, this type of thing. And then we take that more sophisticated where you didn't bundle a few of these, put that onto a balancer model where you have the surface, where you have n number of tokens, and you essentially have, let's say you have a data set that is bundled from all Tesla, Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, and Netflix, these five. That's your mutual fund. They start out at 20% each. You see what happens in five years. Maybe Tesla is a little bit bigger, Amazon's a little bit bigger, Facebook's smaller, what have you, but you essentially have your mutual fund. So if you bought five data tokens, you've essentially bought five shares of that uh, basket of data sets, and uh, you've you have you've had an IPO of those data sets, and then you also have your mutual fund all in one. Yeah, and uh, one of the benefits of building in the open and like you guys using the like Lego blocks of DeFi is like Balancer themselves. They're innovating. I think they're releasing v2 or v3 with like smart pools which give like with smart pools i think we should probably talk to the balancer guys here uh you could have like a dao or multisig or like ai uh, setting prices and that's really interesting yep Uh, uh, it's amazing and and that's one of the core tenets of what we have is let's focus on what we can do for the access control for the smart contracts and then put together some of these things that put us in the direction of of uh, a new data economy but also work as much as possible with uh, the companies and, and the projects that are moving the space forward rapidly. So whether that's secret network where we just announced that we're going to try to extend our privacy-preserving capabilities uh, for consuming data with the secret network, uh, we've long admired what they've been doing. Uh, Balancer, Trent uh, has been an advisor for, for a while for them, and he actually coded some of the stuff that they are there. I believe they're now um, merging back into their core repository. We, we, we built code specific for ocean needs that Balancer is now using for what they need, mm-hmm. yeah, which is pretty cool. Uh, and so where we can find these uh, collaborations in the space, we're definitely going to because the other teams are doing excellent work. And we've always tried to play well with others. We'll definitely get back to the partners and data economy challenge. But Diksha, do you have a question now? She doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Not particularly. I think I was just going with the flow. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. So uh, it's fine. Uh, so the next one is like, I'm really curious, like what are some of the use cases that will be unlocked by this new approach that were not really possible before? So like you, you had a different model with before data tokens with the marketplace like what are like new use cases that you're seeing now that uh... yeah so i think maybe that's not a good analogy but let's just say tinder mm-hmm. yeah, tinder tinder obfuscated a lot of complexity and just said it made had the hypothesis you know pretty much within a microsecond whether or not you want to talk to somebody again like just by their photo so swipe white right swipe left whatever it is it obfuscated a lot of complexity uh, to allow people to just make matches. Very, very good UX. Uh, ocean Market's going for the same thing. Obfuscate a lot of complexity and just say, is this a data set that you would want to either buy or use or invest in, let's just say. And you either click on the buy button and you can consume it, injecting your ocean, you get a data token, you consume it, or you inject liquidity. If you want to make that a, uh, a hobby or a profession, you can actually become kind of a professional liquidity provider or professional scout of, of uh, data tokens. And so that 
that simplifying of the user experience and making it very defined and clear the roles, I think that helps adoption. What we had before was something that was more scaled to enterprises, yeah. was more scaled to people who are willing to build uh, an architecture around our architecture. Anytime you get into that, you're, you're talking longer cycle times, uh, more complexity, and higher risk in a way because with time is not your friend. Yeah, uh, also more investment from their More side. investment. More invest. just heavier everything. And this is a traditional model where you do software design, blah, blah, blah. You build bridges and everything like that. This is something we realized uh, was not in favor of adoption for Ocean. If we're going to get adoption and build out a data economy, we need something people can engage with right now. Uh, and that's what we aim for. Okay. So you're asking people to build Tinder for data during the data economy challenge? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. We're, so Love at first sight. Just like uh, every platform should start as simple as possible. Yeah. And if you get that core right, then you can add stuff around it. Mm -hmm. uh, but they should be outside of that core value proposition. So one of the big strengths and weaknesses of Twitter, for instance, is that it moves very slow. It's the slowest moving platform in the world in terms of new innovations. And they've gotten roundly criticized over and over again in their last 10 years. At the same time, the reason why Twitter is so popular is because they haven't changed very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the only thing I use because like <laughs> Instagram is insane. Like every time I go to the stories thing, there's like, it's insane. It looks like I'm in 2050 with like filters and like all these options and stuff. My God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell that to Insta lovers. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like onboarding somebody to data economy, it's already nerd, right? Yeah. If you go to the ocean market, market.oceanprotocol.com, it's already nerd fest. It's fantastic because you go into the telegram groups, it's turning data hunting, speculating on data, all this kind of stuff. Kind of cool. It's gamified. It's like gamified data economy. Yeah, but it works. Yeah. So what's the most innovative use case that you have seen in, the, in that space? Uh, so we had one German producer, music producer. I think it's PV Lace. He put his music on. He says, every week I'm going to drop three melodies. You just buy it. You buy this data set and then you have access to it. That's cool. Uh, we've had people who say, you know, it's a... The most innovative business models are the ones we didn't expect, which is an ecosystem of ratings agencies on data, analytics tools, um, intelligence on the data. We have people who are tracking the liquidity provisioning for the data sets, the price development over time. And so that, that's actually, it's like a, a bootstrap on the network itself. So just like Web3, we bootstrapped ourselves through ICOs. Now Ocean Market is bootstrapping itself through these initial adopters by building that infrastructure that will attract even more people. Um, I'm really heartened by that. In the meantime, what we're doing, of course, is uh, trying to find people who are willing to experiment, post their data sets, etc. We've asked the community to slow down. Actually, that's a luxury question to ask. The, we need some time to, to roll out this new infrastructure, etc., this new model. We've asked them to slow down, so they have slowed down a bit, but the, the activity on the ocean market is still very, very vibrant. Uh, and so once we can get this new version of ocean out, then we'll see. Will we hit uh, uh, 10,000 concurrent users and have to redesign again? Will the um, incentives align better so that publishers are, are focused on the consumption of their data and then they also get a portion of liquidity pool, all these types of things. Uh, this is what's going to be exciting in 2021.
Um, I think now is also a good time to talk about uh, some of the unsolved problems. Um, you already talked about like these agencies or companies forming around, uh, I think, checking quality of data, filtering, like uh, supply schedule, all those things. But uh, what about specifically quality of data? Like that, that's the one thing I remember also talking to people. They say like, how do you know if the data is high quality? Yep. So in, in many of these markets, you have this problem of you need someone to take one for the team. The good thing is the, like the price is low. So the price is so unless somebody has thrown in like a million dollars of ocean liquidity and the price is already like fifty thousand uh, dollars, as long as uh, somebody throws in a reasonable amount of liquidity, let's say a thousand ocean, that data set's gonna be ten bucks. Mm -hmm. So you need somebody to take one for the team and buy the data set, take a look at it. I see. So you kind of need like these YouTube or Amazon reviewers and that, that might be a new role for them to, to, to add a section to the marketplace. Like this is a verified user with their account that has bought the data. Like this is all traceable on chain. And then they could say, this is what they think about this data set. Correct. So there, there's a, we're, we're adding in ratings. Mm -hmm. So simple five star rating system for that type of thing. We're adding in things like where you can get badges for identifying yourself. So that could be, let's say you go to a KYC, a formal KYC provider like uh, Fractal Blockchain, they, they do KYC in the space. So that's a, it's like human verified. Let's say you go to 3box or um, I forget what the other one was, uh, where you can identify yourself uh, with a, a, a key, uh -huh. right? These types of things. So online, so you, you tie your account, your Ethereum address to... Or Twitter account. To Twitter, for yeah, instance, yeah. using one of these three box or something like that. This type of identity system, once again, we don't need to build it, we just need to integrate it with. So you can get different badges. Yeah. You can have different badges like, uh, you know, whatever, a thousand data sets, average five star, you know, all that kind of stuff. We want to keep it as simple as possible so we, we see other people building on top of Ocean doing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's unsolved, is how do you get more trust? Because that's one of the main barriers. How do you get more trust in the data set as well as the data providers? Because we had a lot of scams, a lot of impersonations, a lot of bad uh, IP getting put up, that type of thing. Another unsolved problem is um, the integrations. So now that we have Ocean Market, it's uh, a storefront to the Ocean technology. Mm -hmm. How do we unlock the 99% of the data that's actually within large enterprises? And that's where we're going to need certain integrations. We're going to need integrations with, for instance, Secret uh, to extend capabilities for privacy preserving compute uh, and uh, managing of the data. We need workflow engines that allow people to uh, design a, a process to manage data, to do the analysis, all that sort of stuff that, allow, that can poke into the ocean market, buy a data set or find the data set, buy it, and then bring it back into their workflow, process it, and then keep going. Right, so we need all. There's a lot of stuff that we need to do, and it'll get more complex over time. And we just need to keep learning. But we have our beachhead market, and that's one of the things that we've learned in three years of struggling, even seven years of struggling, um, pivoting and stuff. Let's not get too far of ourselves. Let's let's deliver what we think based on a hypothesis, get the feedback, and then move from there and just keep going. Have an idea. We know the general direction we need to go, but let's. Let's really focus on what the community is telling us, and we have a ton of feedback already. 
Yeah, yeah, and and I think anyone who judges like these new platforms by their current state, they're being unfair, and they're they're like either extremely pessimistic or they don't understand the power of, of exponential growth is the yeah. problem. You need like one nerdy kid in in like not even in Harvard, like a third world country that comes up with an amazing idea that solves one of these problems and then like everyone can adopt it. Overnight, you've solved like a huge problem. Now like you're like 10x, 100x the potential. Yep, yep. I, I, I think that uh, we as humans are, are really bad at understanding the concept of exponential, whether it's for investing uh, or technological progress. Um, we are on an exponential curve. We've, we brought finance, now with crypto and blockchain, we brought finance onto an exponential curve. We're bringing data onto an exponential curve at the, the, the pace of innovation. And AI, we're going to bring onto an exponential curve. So um, Trent told me very early on when we were kind of throwing ideas around, is he said, one thing I've learned, and this was like 2013, 2014, he said, one thing I've learned is anything that touches Moore's law starts to assume the characteristics of Moore's law, which is exponential growth. And so that's what we're doing. We're putting a data economy on an exponential curve. Yeah, yeah. And we rarely talk about tokens and price and stuff on this podcast, but this is one of those cases where, like, imagine you were a San Francisco startup. You would probably have, like, 20, 30 people on your term sheet, even if you had a lot of angel investors, and everyone else would just have to fanboy and watch. But now, because this is open, first, anyone could fork the code and build their own marketplace. Also, they could buy the share of this whole like data economy through buying the ocean token and get exposure to that and like we, we don't even know like what happens next what comes from players in the ecosystem but in a way you get exposure to the data economy by buying the tokens of these open platforms There's like secret uh yeah you have a lot of partners maybe let's also talk about data economy challenge and who you're collaborating with yeah sure uh just getting back to the token idea i i think it's hugely inclusive yeah. that this innovation blockchain it's a general purpose technology you can read about that richard lipsy 2005 talked about this concept of general purpose technologies uh 30 of them up until 2005 where they are the foundations of advancement of the human race and society and blockchain is one of them it's one of them that we never knew was there it, it's a database fundamentally a database technology that has value built in and nobody saw it coming. We saw AI, we saw neuroscience, biotechnology, uh, internet, all these types of things. We never saw blockchain. And the beauty of this one is that it is, the development of blockchain is dispersed globally. Everybody in the world can partake. You have a lot of skeptics. I was just on a phone call today where I was recommending uh, a company put some Bitcoin into their treasury uh, because they have excess money. And now in Europe, you're getting taxed on excess balances over 100,000 euros. So I said, a good way to do that is to hedge, buy yeah. some Bitcoin. Yeah. A lot of people aren't ready for it, um, but it's available to anybody. Yeah. And that's great. The technology as well as the tokens. And so you can make a bet on the technology through the tokens. If, you, if you're not technological, you know, it's just, you're not going to get into that, that type of thing. You have your own job. You're, you're doing your own thing. Buy the token. Uh, you need to sort through, obviously, but if you find a couple good tokens... Uh, you're, you're buying a piece of a, a new startup uh, where it would have been limited to only people on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley in the past. So 
I'm very hopeful about that. I'm, I'm really heartened to see we have now almost 20,000 token holders of Ocean. It's grown more than 50% in the last three months, uh, and it just keeps growing. Yeah. Maybe now is a good time to launch that data economy index. <laughs> like you have these, a lot of the teams are like Enigma turned into secret. Yeah. Uh, you could like, it's actually quite easy. Anyone could just create like a data economy challenge token, like all the yeah, partners. Yeah, a balancer of, pool. Yeah, a balancer pool of all these projects collaborating for the hackathon. Sure. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Maybe, maybe someone will take that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, partners. Uh, we uh, we reached out to a whole bunch of people who we've been friends with. You know, on one hand, we've been uh, very collaborative for seven years in the space. We've had the privilege of meeting almost every, most of the, the major teams and the ones who survived the, both crypto winters. There was one in 2013 to 2015, and there's one from 2017 or 2018 until now. And we've had a chance to meet with a lot of the teams that network is, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And now that we have something that people can finally engage with, then uh, we just have to give them a call. And if it's something that, that aligns to what they need at this moment, then it's good. And one of the areas that we can work with is Data Economy Challenge. So now we're working with uh, people like, I think, I can't remember them all, to be honest. There's like a dozen of them. I can't remember. It's Pillar, Filecoin, Secret Foundation, DAO Stack. It was eight. <laughs> yeah, there's more. There's more. There's yeah, more coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll try to talk to all of them eventually on this podcast. So, cool. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that's a way to build the ecosystem without scaling the team. We actually have a, uh, most people don't know, we, have a, we actually have a core team of 10 people. Yeah, but uh, keep with, it that way. It's a good number. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good number. But with the work that you guys are doing, uh, you know, in, com, independent from us, uh, the work that many other people are doing in different ways, the Ocean Academy, we have uh, on Twitter the Ocean Navy, we have the people on the data market, which are uh, creating their own community. We have the Telegram groups. This is what we're looking for. We, uh, Trent and I, we talk a lot about devolving control and power. Uh, to the community and giving them the resources they need in a sustainable way. And uh, we're very heartened that the, the ocean community is growing, getting more diverse and uh, doing things on their own. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so thanks everyone for being with us on this episode. Uh, thank you, Bruce. And uh, as I said, we'll try to talk to most of the partners for the hackathon and and see uh, maybe we also open up the podcast talk to more community members i'll definitely share it on different groups and see maybe especially the guys who are like doing this like data dale telegram group that i'm really interested like uh, who, who's behind those groups uh yeah so uh see you in the next episode everyone and thanks to bruce and diksha for joining us for this one thanks nima thank you both <laughs> bye